is Fine Beats and Cheese is the podcast that aims to misbehave. It's a firefly joke. I'm here and I am Leslie Gray Streeter. I am a columnist for the Baltimore Banner, an author, a speaker, um, a single mom, a person who made my first homemade miso soup today. And I'm very proud of that. Um, I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Lynn Streeter Childress. I make theater for children. Um, I also um, am currently obsessed with Daisy Jones and the Six, which uh, our guest has not finished watching yet. But as soon as she's finished watching it, we will talk about it because. And, and because of that, I've been watching um, the 1997 live performance of Fleetwood Mac's Silver Springs over and over and over and over. Um, our guest today is uh, Maria Blake, who is a performer um is a wizard administration and so many other things and she's also my best friend and she's very ex- she I said she's excited of course she is we're excited to have her here today please welcome Maria Blake Woo! thank you so much and you mentioned Fans of Mac- the podcast and I know there's at least one of you um it may recognize Maria uh, from an earlier episode um, where we talked about Xanadu. Oh, yes. And honestly, it was the most scholarly and well-researched and well-thought-out thing about Xanadu that I ever thought anyone could ever do. So um, <laughs> we're going to try to hit it out of the park again today. And today, what are we talking about, Maria? We are talking about all the wonderful things that Joss Whedon has created. Yes. And Yay! also, what's interesting is we've talked about, I mean, Maria... As long as I've known her, which is about 20 some years, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Since 1998. Yeah. Yeah, so that long. Jeezy, crazy. Yeah. Uh, oh, 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 Maria. Oh, there you go. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, as long as I have known her, she has been a big Joss Whedon fan. I would go to her house um, when I would go to visit Lynn in Maryland when I was living in Pennsylvania, and Buffy was always on. She's like, hey, did you see this Buffy? Do you want to? Um, and then that's what we would do for the day. So um, we've had discussions in the past, since then, the past 20,000 years about Joss Whedon. And so Maria thought it might be interesting not just to talk about Joss Whedon, but to talk about him in the context of separating the thing that you love and the art that you love from the person who made it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Maria or Lynn, you might want to take this. Why would we have to do that in this case? Well, the, well, Lynn, you wanna you answer well, that? I was you, just gonna say you, um, to? you. We both. I can start, and you can finish. Is that basically um, Joss Whedon has been found to be have been uh, pretty inappropriate. Uh, that's probably not even a strong enough word, right? Um, in harassing of uh, women, right, mm-hmm. who worked on his uh, projects and. Some have spoken up, spoke up then, and then some spoke up later. And um, it's been a whole thing, again, and Maria can speak to this, about people who were big fans of most of his work, then trying to decide what does that mean for me as a fan of Buffy or a fan of Firefly, um, and can I still like this Mm -hmm. and not like him? Does it? damn the whole thing right and to add to that um first i have to just circle back because leslie said i aim to misbehave and you can't see it but i actually have that sticker on this water bottle right here i love that so I have, much i am to anyway firefly inside joke so the thing that was really difficult for me too is especially because part of joss whedon's legacy is empowering women um right his characters, the whole, you know, or the origin story, so to speak, you know, when he started it all with Buffy, you know, even the not so fabulous movie, you know, with Christy Swanson. But the whole point was, I want to have um, some sort of creative vehicle where the woman is not running away, screaming and tripping and falling down and being murdered. She's actually the right. one chasing the monster and killing it or defeating whoever the foe is. And as a young woman, you know, when that first came out, I was 
I don't even know when, when that came out. I was early 20s probably. Right, um, when the movie came out. When the movie came out. So I was still fairly young. And, you know, that was really exciting to me. And I was grateful that even though the movie, you know, didn't do so well at the time in the box office, it's obviously become a cult classic. But then he was able to dive deeper and bring us Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a series. I was just beyond myself, giddy, excited to see for the first time in my young life, um, you know, something that was such a role reversal, that it was the woman that was heading up this group of fighters, this champion, you know. So to then fast forward to now and see that he wasn't super wonderful to a lot of the females that he worked with, whether it was behind the scenes or, you know, cast members or writers or whoever, um, was really discouraging and really just sad for me personally, because, you know, my house, everything around me, there's, you can't go in a room in my house without finding some sort of Buffy memorabilia. And, and a little bit of my heart broke that just this person that I respected so much. And it wasn't until Sarah Michelle Gellar herself actually was quoted as saying something I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me. But basically, she was saying, it's okay to love what was created. You know, I'm proud of what we did. I'm proud of the topics we handled and the barriers that we broke that can be separate from this one person's actions. Because, you know, if you look through history, I mean, somebody's always a jerk at some point unfortunately, and it doesn't always diminish everything that they've done. Not that I'm excusing him in any way, shape or form, but just hearing her say that and hearing other cast members say similar comments has been encouraging and watching how they all kind of support each other as well. You know, Charisma Carpenter has been super open about her issues and the rest of the cast has really rallied around her and shown her love and so that's and I've met a lot of those cast members and it's just, you know, it's that for me was a lot. There was a lot of hope in that for me, because quite honestly, it would have broken my heart if I had to, like, decide that that couldn't be a part of my life anymore. So anyway, that's just my two cents as far as. No, well, what I was going to ask. Well, first of all. Yeah, it was one of the. First times, I think successfully, right? Mm-hmm. That someone didn't just remake a pre-existing thing; mm-hmm. they remade their pre-existing thing. Yes. Right, right. That he reimagined his own thing and right. made it completely um, 180 degrees different. And a than... lot of that wasn't even his choice. The way the movie ended up going wasn't necessarily yes. what he wrote. Um, They took a lot of creative license. And so when he finally got the series, you know, that was one of the things he said is I'm going to have full creative control. We're going to finally do this the way I envisioned it. That's amazing. And the fact that they gave him the opportunity to do it, even though the movie wasn't really a success. No. is, Is crazy. And it took something that was cheesy. I mean, the movie was yeah. was campy, yeah. and mm-hmm. he had you know Paul Rubens, uh, Pee Wee Herman as a you know monster, and it, right. Luke Perry, R.I.P. Um, I know. Actually, I loved the movie. It was I so silly. I love the movie too. I did too. It was fun. It was total cheese. It's what we talk about all the time. I mean, that's what fine beats and cheeses is about. You know, that is. It is the best. Proudly cheesy. Paul Rubens' character, his death scene <laughs> where he keeps kicking. Yes. And then he keeps kicking. Uh, he's not quite dead yet. He just keeps, oh, uh, oh, And then you think oh. he's dead and he keeps going. And yeah. It's just hilarious because it's so self aware mm-hmm. of its campiness. And I mean, I'm going to say something very controversial. Hold on. Leslie, can you turn down your the volume on your mic a little? Maybe that's what it is, too. It is barely on at this point. All right. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's better. Go yeah. ahead. Okay. Um, I like the movie better than the show. And I know that that is. I can't even hear that. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I think it's because, and I, I don't, this is not to harsh anybody's buzz. I think that there was so much to me always in the show that was problematic um, that I liked the, um, 
I liked the tone because it was so campy, and maybe that's just my taste mm. of the of the of the movie. And I, I think that I found issues very early with some of the choices that were made, like for terms of diversity on the show, or in terms of what I saw was the kind of incel-like behavior of um, what was that the the dude Nicholas Brendan who played Xander. Yes. That um, I, I thought that it just, I don't know. I, I liked the show mostly because I thought that Sarah Michelle Geller did such a beautifully human job of playing this person. And the, the, the season where Buffy dies mm -hmm. and she's like, maybe it was better, it was easier to be dead because I didn't have all these expectations that people had of me. And I, as a young woman... I wasn't fighting all vampires, but I was like doing mm -hmm. all lots of other stuff. And I felt that mm -hmm. I, I loved that's, I think I probably started loving the show in like the third season, maybe. Okay. Or fourth season. Yeah. But, um, but And then it was disappointing because then you find out like the creepy thing started, you know, and you find out like the guy that played Spike, that they were, he and Joss Whedon were like creeping on the girl that played Dawn and um, that there was just like ickiness happening. And then I I loved Angel. I loved Angel more than I loved Buffy, hmm. the show. Okay. And then to find out what happened with Charisma Carpenter. Mm -hmm. And it just, I think it, because I didn't love it as much as you loved it, it was harder for me gotcha. to separate yeah. some of the... Um, the outside things that even didn't have to do with Joss Whedon necessarily, just a lot of the other stuff that was happening. But when I look at it now, it is easier to watch for me in a weird way. I think because I've separated, it's easier for me to separate also because like I said, I've, I have found Joss Whedon skeezy for a very long time. Mm. Um, even before, I don't know if you remember that speech he gave about 10 years ago about feminism. No, I don't think, I don't think so. Um, do you know what I'm talking about, Lynn? Yes. He gave this speech where he decided that, because he was very touted as a male feminist, and he said, we need to change the name of feminism. It's too harsh a word. And he talked about the German roots of ist. It's ist. It's so harsh. And people were like, dude, did anybody ask you, the person <laughs> with a penis, to define <laughs> feminism? Uh. And then his then wife, Kai, came back and said, he was full of it the whole time. He was cheating me at the time. It was terrible. Um, and so once his BS was broken, it was easier for me in a way because like, it's like, oh, we understand this guy is full of it, right? Mm -hmm. And then I was able to enjoy the show more. So that was, if that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get I it. I didn't yeah. have that false crap of his right. supposed thing that he represented. I could just enjoy Right. This kick ass girl. Yeah. That, well, that I liked it even better. Yeah. Well and it's I, a I, it's a whole thing too it, it, yeah. of when of when people declare themselves allies of another group, you kinda oh. wanna wait until the group decides you're an ally before you decide that you're a feminist. You maybe want other women to be like, Yes. Right. Yeah. He's He's so right. great, but when you're like, I I'm an ally, when people go, this. I love black people, I'm like, but do you? Do you? Right? It, it's like, let yeah, them I get that. tell you. And, and, I, and, and I get what you're saying, Leslie, too, and, and I know the episode that you were talking about, um, obviously, the end of season five, which yes. um, actually was the second time Buffy died, but the more lasting time she died, I should say. But... Um, <laughs> But that parallel that you were feeling as far as like, I was just on one of my Buffy fan groups yesterday on Facebook, and we were talking about the quote that Buffy says at the end where she says the hardest thing, um, the hardest thing about this world is living in it. And, yes. it. and it's something that she quotes, and she says to her, to, to her sister, spoiler, right before she sacrifices herself. So mm. then it's revisited in season six. Um, the musical episode, which is fantastic. The music is amazing. But once more with feeling where Dawn then says the hardest thing in this world is to live in it. And it's because of exactly what you were saying. Buffy was dead. Now she's back. And that was harder for her to cope because there were all these expectations. Like all of a sudden she went from what she felt like she was in, quote unquote, some sort of heaven. Um 
she was at peace. She was happy. She was safe. She was content. And then all of a sudden her friends who thought they were doing her a, a, a good thing, yes. you know, ripped her bad. from that. And now she's struggling to be back in this like harsh, cruel, violent world. And she's just like, why? You know, so there's so many. That was one of the things that I always loved about Whedon is that and not just him. He had amazing writers that wrote, you know, he didn't write every episode. He didn't, you know, so I don't want to give him all the credit. But like Marty Noxon is huge. I'm a big fan of hers. But they had a great way of taking these monster of the week episodes and having them go parallel with whatever the normal teenage angst in high school that you were dealing with, mm -hmm. whether it was somebody coming out or somebody going through their parents were getting divorced or someone was ill or, you know, just whatever angst that teenagers go through, breakups, whatever. They always had this great way of paralleling them with whatever monster they were trying to, to right. kill that week. It was so smart. It was just really clever. And even the episode, um, the body, you know, um, where they made the, de the decision to, and this was a Joss Whedon thing, made the decision to have no music, no musical score of any kind in that entire episode so that you could feel just the haunting vacancy, the, the, the loss, you know, right. of their mom. Um, it was just, I mean, people, again, just earlier this week, I was in a dialogue online where people were breaking down, you know, layer after layer after layer of these episodes. It's amazing to me how 20 plus years later, people are still in like deep conversation about these episodes. It's just, and, so and that's, even that's what I try and, you know, celebrate. Um, yes. But right. yeah. Do you, do you feel like, so we already know that the tone of the show, even from the first uh, beginning, was different than the tone of the movie. Yeah. And don't you feel that the tone itself changed, or maybe not the tone, but that as the show went on, it got deeper and deeper and deeper, right? Yeah. And a lot of that, I, again, I used to watch it at your house. Yeah. I, did, I, I started watching Buffy because of you. And as they got older, um, you know, they got into more, um, I guess, more mature topics, more. Right. You know, so it grew the the, the themes and whatnot grew with the characters, with their characters. And, and, yeah. And I feel like I get a cough. So, again, hopefully we're not giving spoilers because the show's been it's been off on for long enough. Yeah. Right. But one of the things Bruce that I've said the whole time. So, you know, what'd you say? <laughs> Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. So if you haven't seen it by now. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, true. it's been too long. But one of the things that I know that stood out to me that I appreciated about it was we talked about her being in charge of the, the leader of this group of people, mm -hmm. that those relationships changed and those relationships grew and those characters were allowed to grow and those characters were allowed to change. But one of the things, so there were three sort of villain kids who are out to get Buffy, right, and yes. wreak havoc. The trio in season six. Right. Yeah. And what really stuck me was how well-drawn those characters were mm -hmm. that even when they um, w finally got supposedly what they wanted – you could see that it wasn't really what they wanted. It, it's it was they weren't just these characters who are like I'm going to blow up the world, ha ha ha, mm -hmm. world blown up. And yeah. there's no kind of there there of why they're doing it. But they everyone was allowed to be complicated, and everybody mm -hmm. was allowed to do things mm -hmm. that weren't. Great. Okay, so we can talk about Willow, season right? Six, well, and to what you're saying about season six, um, that is arguably within all the various Buffy groups um, that I'm part of, is arguably the darkest season of oh, yeah. all seven seasons. And ironically, it's the only season that had no monster, no 
traditional villain to to conquer. And it was the first time that the villains were just random human dudes, you know, Humans. with no right. And it was this opportunity to show that okay, you don't have to be like a demon or a monster or some crazy creature to be evil and mm -hmm. to um, fight for the wrong things. And that episode dealt with horrible. I mean, those guys they dealt with abduction with with rape with um you know murder i mean there's so many things that they did that people still talk about as some like some people will say warren still to this day is one of the worst villains in all of buffy's um yeah universe and they, he was a human dude you know and you were going to say something about they, willow oh yeah well saying well, they were yeah. so blinded by hate and just yeah. by yeah this singular thing the singular yeah. mission that they were just going to get them and destroy them and so, so and Warren if was you're, just if the, you're... the kid that was bullied he was the nerd he right. was the quote-unquote nerd you know he was the one who wasn't popular he was the one who didn't get the girls and that's all he was obsessed about he wanted to accumulate this power so that he could dominate all the people that that bullied him made fun of him and that was his whole you know vendetta and the two guys andrew and jonathan that were just kind of following his you know on his coattails they weren't really about that they just thought it would be fun they thought they would be like right cool like lex luthor you know like just they looked at it in this comical way and as warren got deeper and deeper into this darkness they started realizing wait a minute we're not really for all of this and then of course as you were saying willow losing tara which ironically was one of the first female couples openly mm -hmm. openly on television in a gay relationship, um, you know, in history, you know, TV history. So that was a, a big thing in itself. But Willow turning, you know, like she did from, you know, to the dark side, it just showed how her rage was literally manifested, you know, to... Right. So they kill, they kill. So Willow was one of Buffy's core people. Best friend, yeah. Her best yeah. friend. And she gets into this relationship with this. Uh, she's a witch, right? Tara was a witch. Yeah, they both were. They both mm -hmm. were witches. And Jennifer um, Benson, Willow, Allison Hannigan. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And she is, Willow was murdered. Um, no. Tara was I'm sorry, lie, lie. Yeah. Tara is murdered yeah. by, thank you, sorry. By Warren. Um, yeah. By Warren and Willow's eyes go black. It's on. She and just wants to. He wasn't. Tara wasn't the the target. You know, no. Warren was trying to kill Buffy, and he shot up in the air and accidentally killed Tara. And when Willow switched, she didn't even know that Buffy had also been shot. She all mm -hmm. she saw because they were in a totally different part of the house. Right. So it was just one of those things where like this whole thing's going on. This whole scene is playing out where everyone who was with Buffy is rushing her to the hospital. No one knows that Tara is upstairs, unfortunately dead on the, on the carpet, you know? And, and what's so crazy too, I remember is the fear when, when, and those boys, when mm -hmm. Willow was like after them yeah, is that when you are evil to people, it doesn't turn out the way that you thought it was going to. The feeling that you thought you were going to get of power and being better mm -hmm. than other people. Right. And tell me, what year did the show come on? 99, 98, I think it's... That's, that's, that's my memory. Hold Let me on. see, I can look it up. Well, the reason I asked it is because... Columbine was in 99 is when it started. 97. Okay. So Columbine happened, the shooting at Columbine High School yes. happened in 1999. And there are so many parallels when you talked mm -hmm. about those boys being bullied mm -hmm. about the kids at Columbine were, were well, at least that was a narrative <laughs> for a while, well, um, yeah. is that they were bullied and this is a way to act up, even though supposedly it's come out in some way that they were actually bullies. But the whole point, though, this idea of wanting other people to pay for what's happened to mm -hmm. you. And it's interesting. This is all around that same 
what time? Even more interesting, um, I don't know if you're aware, but there was actually a episode of Buffy that dealt with a student um, coming onto campus and trying to do mass sh- a mass shooting, so to speak. Oh. And it was around Columbine, and they actually um, decided not to air the episode when it was supposed to be aired and didn't air it until much, much later. Mm-hmm. But it was a scene that involved Jonathan, who became one of the villains in season six. So it's really, I mean, talk about, you know, the creative side, um, you know, kind of like shadowing what was going on in, in the real world. Um oh, yeah because it was an episode where Jonathan had a gun up in a tower and he was planning on shooting. And at the same time, there was a cafeteria worker that was poisoning the food. <laughs> so it oh was like, a, it was like a double episode where they were trying to figure out who's trying to harm the students at sunny Sunnydale. And, and yeah, so it, the episode never aired when it was supposed to, because it, it was right, right around Columbine. Um, and strangely enough, I live in Colorado now. And when I was working for the um, U.S. Department of Education doing some assessment testing, one of my regions was Columbine, and I was in those. Mm-hmm. I was in that the new, you know, the new school school the way they'd redone it. And there's still to this day there's, um, you know, a memorial out front, and it was really yeah. surreal to be to be on that campus. So. But it's but it's interesting that you bring up the whole Columbine thing because it it totally reflected something that was going on in Buffy and yeah they chose the network chose to not air it in sequential you know order or whatever to kind right. of respect what everybody was going through at the time so crazy how stuff like that works isn't it it really is so I tell you we're kind of jumping around but one of the things that I I think before I really kind of got into Buffy, maybe I was semi into it, but not as much, is that this was like 2000, 2001. I worked at a law firm and there was a a woman who worked there who's a paralegal who loved Buffy, but this was around the... So uh, Buffy was... There was a villain-ish-esque uh, vampire. There were two. So there was Angel, mm-hmm. but then there was Spike, who mm-hmm. was such a little like, Ugh. but he He's and Buffy favorite. have this thing. Yeah. And, and I remember this woman <laughs> I used to work with was like, no, he needs to be staked immediately. Mm. This whole thing should not happen about him being, she did not want him to see, she did not want to see him be rehabilitated. She wow. did not want to see him have any kind of redeeming qualities at all. Wow. She needed him to be the villain and wanted him to get killed. <laughs> well, can, can I say, and this is me being my dark cloud of doom again over mm-hmm. here, um, that a lot of people have looked at that triangle between Angel and Spike and Buffy mm-hmm. and have said that maybe if they could do a little Monday morning quarterbacking psych- psychiatrically into Joss Whedon, that it's kind of creepy that this, you know, young woman who is she, the only people that she's happy with are the people that could kill her. Yeah. And that there is a sexual edge to survival and that survive that sex has a dangerous deadly mm-hmm. edge to it and obviously this is not new the, the whole vampire myth is about the the danger of sexuality mm-hmm. and oh dracula's so hot he seduced me mm-hmm. and i had to become a vampire i remember going to see twilight Ugh. Gosh, I saw that with Maria. Out. I'll tell that story in a minute. Uh, Go ahead, Leslie. And there were these little dumb girls Buffy in front of me. Take Colin out. <laughs> you know, there were these girls, and there was a multicultural group of little girls in front of me. And they're like, oh my God. And I said, you know, he could kill you, right? And they go, but if to be his girlfriend, you would have to be dead. And they go, but it would be worth it because you're so hot. I'm like, we are doomed. As a society, just go ahead and drop the bomb now. But and Leslie, um, can you can you back your mic up a little bit? Me? Yeah, that's much better. Go ahead. Okay. So it was so much 
of that, that it wasn't just an episode. It was an entire arc mm -hmm. of these characters. Yeah. And then when you go back, once again, this is the separating or not, when you go back and you look at Joss Whedon, who was looked at to be, in reality, a predator of young women rather than a savior of young women. And then you look at the people that he cast as the romantic and sexual heroes of his shows were these dudes. Mm. And I have so much to say about all that. Go ahead. Okay, so you're not wrong. And they've, they have actually, they actually addressed it a few times throughout the Buffy series because Buffy's whole thing is she, anytime she tried to have a relationship with a quote unquote human, mortal, no superpowers kind of person, an average Joe, it never ended well. They never could understand all of her, all the aspects right. of her. They were intimidated by her strength, by her ambition, by what she needed to do in general. You know, she could never put them first. And one of the running mantras through the Buffy world from Slayer to Slayer is the mission is what matters. The mission comes before anybody else. Buffy quotes it. Um, Robin's character, who plays the son of a slayer, his mother used to say it to him when he was a little boy, you know, the mission is what matters. And so for Buffy, being with Angel and being with Spike, they were men. I do men in quotes because, you know, obviously they're, they're demons or dead or whatever you want right. to call them. Um, you know, but they were men that could handle her. They were men that weren't intimidated by how strong she was. Right. She didn't have to hold back from them. She didn't have to pretend she was someone else around them. And there was comfort in that. And I think with Angel, it went against all the rules. But because he had a soul, she could justify that he had that humanity that was lacking in other demons. And that's why when Spike, you know, at the end of season six is so horrible. You know, Buffy is horrible to him. She yeah. uses him, manipulates him you know, treats him really, really poorly. And then Spike retaliates like a monster does and tries to rape her and attack her. And it's horrible. And it turned a lot of fans off of Spike. But he went and sought and got his soul because he realized if I'm to be worthy of this woman who I love in his weird vampire way, he thought he could love, you know, he knew what he needed and he went and sought it out. And to me, that just made him... So much more. I've always been Team Spike. Um, you know, there's always this whole Team Angel, Team Spike thing. But Angel had his soul put upon him as a curse. It was, yeah. you know, and it was a punishment. And and Spike went and sought it out as as to to try and vindicate, as to try and redeem himself. And then, of course, he ends up sacrificing himself completely at the end of season seven to um, save everyone. But it's interesting because you talk about Joss Whedon and how he and, you know, he, he's kind of come out as like this predator. I read an article. I wish I could remember who where it was written. I could probably find it. I read an article today that talked about how in Angel, every woman that was like a lead character ended up sacrificing herself for the man. Absolutely. Darla sacrificed herself to to birth connor um fred lost herself to Aaliyah. she had to die to have this other thing come and take over and then cordelia who she had this amazing character growth just one of the most dynamic of all the buffy her and wesley to me had the biggest character growth and development from beginning to end and for Joss Whedon and his team to totally dismantle all that Cordelia had achieved and grown and come to love these people and be so um, self-sacrificing and then to just come and play and act like she's pregnant with this, this, you know, um, it was it Jasmine, this God or whatever. And, and that everything that she had done was really just in line to make this, this God come forth and then they kill her off. Fans were heartbroken. It, I was so disappointed that they did that to her legacy that they, that yeah. I just, there's been so many articles written about 
poor Cordelia. And I know that was when Chris, Chris Carpenter got pregnant and there's that whole horrible debacle about Joss right. Whedon getting pissed that, you know, she was, they had to rewrite everything. And it was just so disappointing and it had to have been, and I know it was heartrending, you know, heart heart wrenching to her too, because she's been very open about her character and the, you know, her personal experiences or whatever. But it's just very interesting to me that it went from Buffy being this amazing badass fight, you know, strong woman. And then in Angel, the women were treated so differently um, in comparison. It's just, it's really interesting. I mean, if you just look at each of these roles and what all these women's sacrifices led up to and how and so basically the article I was reading was just about how they all died for whatever man for whatever the man well, the men's agenda you know on the show at the end of Buffy and I'm gonna I'm forgetting her name the evil girl that wound up with Xander who I love so much oh she's not evil I loved Anya yeah I loved yes, Anya, Anya so much yeah I loved her and too I, maybe that's where that started because at the end she sacrifices herself. Yeah. And I guess there, if you look at the way that comic book characters and fantasy characters where it's this good and evil, good yeah. and evil, obviously the sexiness, not so much like sex, but the interesting part of it is in the dichotomy yeah. of those things and the shades of those things. But that so often it is a female character yeah. that has to be the person that that sacrifices themselves mm -hmm. or the person that is either like the prize or whatever. Right. I was reading something the other day that there was a unpopular opinions thread on Twitter about Star Wars opinions. Mm. And they said they never should have murdered um, Amid uh, Amidala. They never should have kill killed the queen. Oh, in the Princess Amidala, in Luke and Leia's yes. mom. That if she that is it would have been badass if she had survived, and that she had been there the one to help raise there'd be no story her though. Kids yeah, and, and turn and to be the one to guide them because the father is now evil and yes. she's the one who can save them. And why was it necessary? And I was like, I wonder if it ever even occurred to anybody to not kill her off. Yeah, what, because obviously, what? No, no I'm, say, agree even, I'm agreeing. Yeah. I, it's, it's, you know, you think about, I mean, you're referring to episode three, which was actually the prequel, but, you know, the first one that came out in 77 was, you know, A New Hope. And it was like, if, if, if Amidala hadn't died and Luke and Leia were never separated, there'd be no four, five, and six, because the whole point of those first three stories right. were these, these two kids didn't know they were brother and sister, didn't know who their real dad was, you know, and so you unravel all that. And it is awesome. But I agree. I mean, it would have been a completely different, completely different story if Amidala had um, lived, you know, what was her name? Um, uh, Padma? No. Why am I blanking on her actual name? Padma? Padme. Anyway, Padme, I forget, because Princess Amidala was like her title. That wasn't like her real name. But yeah, right, Padme. Um, yeah, Padme. so it would have been a totally different thing. And that's why, I don't know if you watch Obi-Wan, we get <laughs> to see Luke and Leia little, and we get to see their journey. It's really, it's awesome, but that's a whole nother, Star Wars could be a whole nother show. But, oh, um, but you're coming back. Oh, <laughs> you're absolutely coming back. I love Star Wars. I could talk, my son, oh my gosh, he knows. It's ridiculous. He's he's watched everything, all the animated everything. Every time I watch anything, I ACG. call him and I get his his input. I'm like, explain this to me. But I do. I that could, I would happily come back and talk about Star Wars anytime. But maybe maybe we'll get so my husband, yeah. uh, whose name is AC. Um, oh yeah, get some dudes loves, on the podcast. Loves others. Yeah. He will never do it. Uh, we will. I will try to make him. But again, but it's interesting yes, though. Yes. The idea, though, of what you're talking about, about women being the ones to sacrifice themselves, yeah. is because sometimes people like seeing women as victims. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and as the tragic figure who then spawns other mm -hmm. people yeah. to do things. Do. So this, I'm taking a total like left turn. And, and I want to say Sam, our producer, Anya too, remind me. Okay. And Sam, our producer, can, de yeah. can decide whether or not he wants to include this or not. 
Okay. But so Maria and I used to be in a group of women who used to do a Bible study and we would Ooh. do, yep. we would read a book and stay in it for a little bit and then finish it and then do another one. So one of the ones that we did was this book called Captivating that was yeah. supposed mm-hmm. to be like every woman's desires. And it was basically that all women had daddy issues and that all women wanted to be, um, to have a, to be rescued, whatever, and like go on an adventure with their dude. But I think we all said at one point or the other, but what if I want to go on an adventure? Like, right. Because there was a, there was a companion book called Uh Wild at Heart, which is written first. It was a husband and wife, but the husband wrote Wild at Heart. It was all about how men want to be adventurers. And so then the woman's companion book was supposed to be, you want to go on an adventure with somebody. And I was single. I was, I, there were two half single women at the time. Half were single. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But I remember the other person and I being like, and all of us being like, but can't we, why do we have to wait for a dude? So anyway, that just reminded yeah. me of why and women can't be at there. I the time and I agreed with the singles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. but why can't women be their own saviors? And that yeah. was, again, so interesting with Buffy is that that was the point is that she was, the person who was saving anything, but in the, in the, um, as things went on, why were the women all the ones who, like you said, how many times did Buffy die? Like twice. And then mm-hmm. the mom dies mm-hmm. and, and Anya dies yeah. and Tara dies. And it, it's just so interesting that, that that's a whole society thing is that it's easier. It's to- even real. You know, right, right, yeah, is that it's easier to see for some people to see women as, um, even if you say they're in charge of their destinies, though, but that they decide that they have to and all the women die, for angel die. yeah, say again, yeah, and all the women, and an angel died, yeah, and all the women, an angel died, yeah, well, and I, but what I was gonna, Buffy, oh. it was the way that she was cast, I mean, she really was fashioned even more so than Angel, as this Odysseus-like uh, archetype that had to go through an incredible amount of of trials um, and tests mm-hmm. on the way to that hero's journey. And yeah. that there was such the loss. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think like when we were younger, we read like Greek mythology, we go, and then his mom died. We're like, oh, that's very sad. Mm-hmm. And then we get older and go, it's sad when your mom dies. Of course, it's going to screw you up. Right. You know, um, or, you know, then they had to like kill this. The lover was actually a demon. They had to kill it. You go, oh, that's really sad. Sucks to be her. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> You were in love with this person and then you had to kill it yeah. or it, whatever. And so I, I think that Buffy really did a good job um, of that. I think that Firefly, and boy, is Firefly problematic now. Boy, is it. I love Firefly, but, but yeah. I know I did too. Yes, I yeah. was obsessed. I yeah. took three different sets of people to see Serenity with me. Wow. I, yeah. Because I'm that crazy, but I look own back all and you look of them yeah. now, and you go, so why did the? Not that there's anything wrong with you know people who have to support themselves through sex work, but there's a you know between that and Dollhouse, there is an uncomfortable parallel of equating female power with a loss of sexual power mm-hmm. or an indentured part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not at first love Kaylee. I grew to love her because that was the joke, right? Kaylee, the engineer? Or you yes, I didn't love her at first. Oh, you didn't? I, okay. I, I grew to love her because at okay. first I was like, ah, oh, it's the joke. The engineer, of course, is like the, the perky, chippy, chipper one. And then I grew to love her. And I love Jewel State. She's an amazing actress. Yeah, I, I love her very much. Yeah. And then Zoe, Triple. who, of course, is the you know forever badass uh, Gina Torres. Yes. Um, who was Jasmine and Angel. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I look back now, though, at that show, and I go, there was a lot of, like, creepy rapiness with some of the, you know, people, like, that would show up and, like, try to get into it, like, it, with Inara's girls. And there was, like, this kind of, like, um, I won't give any spoilers away about a 20-year-old movie uh, about Serenity, but um, yeah, there was there were some things that happened in that where I was like, oh, you just don't want anybody to be happy to you, Joss Whedon. That- you know? <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's funny you talk about the the sex worker stuff and everything. And I always thought one thing that was interesting, and then I'll backtrack to what I was going to say about Anya, but um, Anora, you know, who was the companion, that's what they called the high-class prostitute. One thing I will have to say that I thought was really kind of clever is it was a totally different spin on the traditional brothel prostitute you know it was yeah. looked at as a very high powered position it was looked at yes. as as a position that had like a lot of respect and she was like in control and in my way of first watching firefly i thought oh you know they're trying to like flip the script and they're trying to give the power back to the women and you know saying that she's chose this it's it was almost like a religion um, the way yeah. they they did the whole companion thing, and I always thought that was kind of clever to kind of take the negative stigma. Not that being a prostitute is anything you know one should really aspire to, but you know it was just an interesting spin on it. And then going back to talking about women and roles, and, and, and we were talking about all the women dying and everything. You know, Anya, her whole thing was she was a vengeance demon, so. Right. She exacted revenge, but she specifically only chose to enact revenge for women against men. So she was perceived as this very like man hating um, person. And so her whole character arc is the fact that she falls in love with with the one man, Xander. And it goes to what you were talking about in the book, Captivating, about how like, do we need the man to make us make all you know what's right in the world or whatever or balance everything out and then of course so because she becomes vulnerable and learns to like love this group of people you know she goes out swinging and she you know dies in this final epic battle in sunnydale in season you know the end of season seven but it's just kind of funny how she was this like quote-unquote man hater you know she was bitter over a thousand years she'd been doing this job and then it all boils down to her and this one guy, and it's kind of like what breaks her. So it's you know, and then you've got a, and then you've got a Nora in Firefly who's this high class prostitute with all this respect and whatever. So it's just there's always these like underlining, like it makes me want to like get in a room with Joss Whedon and be like, dude, you need therapy. Like what? Well, oh, for like, sure. And also, like, what's what's your damage with like, uh, you know, it's inter- It's just it's interesting. It's this love hate thing. It's it's. And I have to point out the rampant and really gross Orientalism that happened. That there were everything was like this, like highly uh, Asian inspired yes. thing with no Asian characters. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it was just it was Asia meets the Wild West meets Star Wars in space. Yes, and yeah. then, so it was very exotic. Yeah, in that in the, in the grossest connotation of that, but it was just all white people. Yeah, know, right, um, yeah. It was really gross, and uh, I thought it was again, funny not... that the Asian words were the. I don't know if it was supposed to be like you know Chinese or Cantonese or you know what language they were trying to rip off or if it was even a real language because I don't I think it was actually Chinese was it Chinese those were like all the cuss words like I like I thought that was funny at the time but then you start to think wait a minute there aren't any Asian like where are the Asian characters like are (laughs) like if you have this love for it it's almost like learning it shows how much we've grown I think as people um you know realizing that whole What's the word? Um, you know, when you think it's okay to dress up like the the Native American cultural appropriation. That's the word. Yes, it, it was very much like that. Like I felt like Joss Whedon had this love of all things Asian and Western, and but didn't realize the appropriate way to like represent that. Which well, it's kind of to have some more diversity. There was some diversity, there is, but there not is... not a lot. There, to that point, there is a um, documentary out now about Little Richard um, and about how um, 
you know how he used to always joke, you always talk about, people joked about it, how he was the originator, but he really was mm-hmm. about how Pat Boone and all these other people had bigger hits with his songs yeah. because their people were more comfortable seeing them completely taking any of the soul mm-hmm. out. They wanted to hear that stuff but coming out of a white face and a way because it was safer for them. And that just sort of reminded me is that yeah. they're taking all this stuff, but having it come out of white bodies because it was more comfortable for, it's like for on people. Hairspray. When, when, when the, the, oh, yeah. the African-American, <laughs> the African-American girl group, the trio had that awesome hit. And he then a new girl in town. Right, and yes. then they whitewashed it and, and made it all, you know, well, and, and what Mabel says, uh, it was they and Michelle Pfeiffer's character in the movie says, "Well, it's terrible because they took those girls' songs and Queen Latifah goes, but they wrote it. <laughs> like the black girls wrote the songs. Right, right. They, yeah. And what's very funny is literally today, um, yeah. I work at Baltimore School for the Arts, and I'm part of a project. The sophomores, it, it's a performing arts high school where Jada Pinkett and Tupac uh, Shakur went, and Sweet. and also Leslie's best friend Melanie." Uh, <laughs> Uh, 89. Um, but um, that School for the Arts every year does a historical project where the sophomores research and write. And then this year they had playwrights, including me, um, take what the kids wrote and yay and make it into larger scenes. But one of the things they talk about is the Buddy Dean show, which was mm-hmm. what Hairspray was uh, based on. Yeah. The Buddy Dean show. But on in Hairspray, once they integrate it, it goes great. Yeah. In the actual story, on one of the shows, Negro Day, that's when the it was black. They called it Black Monday once a month. Um, they integrated <laughs> it. It's awful. And and white kids came on. It lasted one day, and the next day it was segregated again. And pretty soon, it shut down, and they just took mm-hmm. the show off. Um, but all, that was a very long story to say. I just came back from watching a, a dress rehearsal with kids where they talked about the black kids teaching their white friends mm-hmm. the steps, and then the white kids would go on. The, the show uh, yeah, and do it. And people are like, yeah, yeah, that's an amazing thing you did in it. It's, yeah. And then it was normalized. And I think it goes back to the Joss Whedon thing. Yeah. So he didn't create that, right. you know, right. for so long. I mean, it goes right. back to Westerns, which obviously, you know, Firefly was. And, you know, the the relationship between um, Mal and Inara goes back to Miss Kitty and Matt Dillon, you know, yeah. sort of like you know, madam and the lawman, and they kind of have a winking, wink, wink, nod, nod. I was just talking about Mickey Rooney playing um, the Asian older man in, what is it, Breakfast at Tiffany's? Yeah. Horrific. Yeah, horrific. horrific. It's it's horrible. And that's the, and or go back to, um, you know, and I love Westerns, but I cannot defend most of it. Um, to that all the Mexicans were played by Italian guys or Jewish guys and you know, Indian guys, you know, were not there. Um, and like we would, my mother and I used to watch Gunsmoke together and go, who's this Italian guy today? Today's Italian guy playing an Indian is <laughs> this guy. Um, and it's pretty brutal. Yeah. And so I would have hoped that by 2002, mm-hmm. we had gotten better. We had not. I know now mm-hmm. there are still like there's a character on Yellowstone who is supposed to be Native American who is played by an Asian uh, biracial Asian woman because I guess she looked Native enough to them. And so, yeah, and that's in Monica. She's a terrible character anyway. Um, everyone in the fan. I, I stopped watching that show because it was just I can't too, believe too terrible. I, I've never seen it, but I can't believe that today, this day and age, they couldn't fire find a Native American actor. Of course they could. It wasn't important. I think that, like, when you were talking about maybe Joss Whedon did, didn't did get it, maybe he did get it and he didn't care because he could get away with it. He didn't and have he to. Do it. Yeah. Yeah, because he didn't have to. He could do it the way he went. No one was going to ask him. Or, you know, now, like I said, it is. it shocked me when they would say, well, is this woman who plays Monica really on Yellowstone really even native? And I thought, well, there's no way. And then um, it's... It, they call them in the culture. They call them pretendians. Um, people who either play 
uh, natives or people who claim native heritage in like academia or that kind of thing or in like the art world and they're they're not really native they're people who've claimed some heritage that they don't share so they can go on the lecture circuit and then we get into razor dolezal and that's a whole thing we don't want to get into but um i think that we have moved on i think if you look at even like uh the kid uh ray is it ray allen the kid that played uh cyclops in um the justice league justice league yeah and every everything terrible that he's had to say about joss whedon and that people have backed him up it's not even just because you know he came on basically the in, the entire shit movie was shot and they took um the snyder cut and they gave it to joss whedon and joss whedon went here's what we're gonna do we're gonna cut out the entire black guy story we're going to write in a bunch of boob jokes between um, Wonder Woman and the Flash, where he winds up like covering her boot. You know that that scene where he wants to like fall on top of her or whatever, and everyone was horrified. Um, but that's what they, you know, they're in a Warner Brothers movie. <laughs> I, <laughs> what are they gonna do? Yeah, it's I. Nothing is what they could do. So it there's been a really ugly thing. I think that. I've enjoyed so much of his work. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he wrote Toy Story. He was one of the screenwriters on Toy Story. He wrote wow. a, two of the Avenger movies. I mean, he's he's done tremendous stuff, and it just breaks my heart that. Ugh. But you know, it's like it's like what they always say on Big Bang Theory, Sheldon and Leonard. You know, they always use Einstein as a reference of he was a guy who did great things, but was a jerk. He was, yeah. he was a horrible person. He he stole people's <laughs> ideas. He didn't give people credit. He, you know, so it's like, it, it, but it's, but I just expect more, I guess, in 2023. Yeah. And I, and I think that, I mean, people keep saying he's been canceled. He will be back. He's a white guy with money in this culture. There's already some sort of redemption brewing, I can guarantee you, whether or not he deserves it. Yeah. And, and whether he would get the chances that he's gotten. Yeah. If he wasn't a white guy who made people money. I mean, have other people like. I I know people can be just. Sometimes clueless, ignorant, whatever. But you're supposed to have like a team of people around you. Like, like, where are all the other people in the Joss Whedon circle? It's like what he used to say about Trump. I'm like. He's so stupid, but he's supposed to have people around him to like direct, to guide. Like, like I don't understand in Joss Whedon's universe, well, is he so in his own hemisphere that he just doesn't well, even allow can I, people around him, you know? Can I, can I speak to this? I think, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, and you're talking about the former president and yeah. also with like Joss Whedon, yeah. but- when it benefits the yes people to go along with them, mm. A, when it benefits them, they do. When it would be against their best interests to speak up because now they're cut out of power or whatever mm -hmm. they were using this mm -hmm. person for. Yeah. And I don't even yeah. say people that work with Joss Whedon were using him, but if that was, I'm, I'm just saying this. Yeah. I don't know I, this to be I, I the get case. What you're saying, yeah. Right. But if, if that was their bread and butter and yeah. he's literally signing their paychecks, I can understand why people are reticent to speak up. But also, too, there's also the possibility that people actually don't have a problem with it. And that's the that's what happens, or willing to right. turn a blind eye because maybe they did kind of agree. And there's one example of that too. He had just done a brand new series on HBO called The Nevers, which I absolutely loved. And again, it had a strong female cast, female lead, a lot of diversity, you know, the whole mutant kind of thing, but it was from like the 1800s. And it was fantastic. It was a great show. And there's not going to be a season two. So maybe it's finally catching up to him. You know, maybe people are finally starting to say, there's consequences to the things that you do and say that can't be, I guess, overshadowed by the dollar value, maybe? I don't know. I It's just, it's hard. And once again, I, I, I hope that people 
I don't want people not to see his work. I don't want yeah. his stuff to be, um, as much as I dislike a lot of what he stands for, right. I want people to be able, able to discover Buffy. I am not a cancel culture person, and cancel culture doesn't really exist. Right. You really don't cancel people. Um, they always usually, particularly if they started at a, from a place of power, they find out ways to come back. Um, the guy, uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, from who was the mayor of Detroit, who was in jail, got out early, got pardoned by Trump, and is now a black Republican. So, you know, people figure out how to come back if they want to. But I just, I hope that we are at a point. Um, I have a story, and it will come out the day before this podcast airs for the Baltimore Banner about... Amanda Bynes Ooh, and about yeah. mental health and the way that the disgusting way that the media treated people like Amanda Bynes and Demi Lovato and yeah. Britney, Britney Spears, Spears and yeah. Pamela Anderson and all these people who were having mental and emotional crises in the 90s and 2000s mm -hmm. and sort of what we can make of that. And the question people asked was, yes, the public has a different way now of viewing it. And they do not want to see, the public will speak out, they've spoken out, yes. and saying, you're talking about Amanda Bynes being committed, but have you also talked about giving her the acknowledgement of having agency, that she's the one who called 911 herself. She herself realized that she was in crisis. She was not a victim right. to the point where someone had to catch her and, and you know, yeah. she decided, she realized that she was having problems, but the fact that we're still, still writing these stories and it's still usually about women, yeah. and usually men who are in crisis, you know, we don't see them speak it. You know, Charlie Sheen yep. got an entire, like two years of, of career out of being a train wreck Yeah, that he had a, a concert tour where they hadn't even really figured out in the first couple of concerts what he was going to talk about. It's just they, they knew they could make money off of yeah. it. But he was still he was still in control. And he had a career out of being crazy, and he said he was. Um, and it doesn't work the same way oh my gosh, for, you are... for women. So I guess, yeah. to me, I'm just saying that I'm hoping that even if there still is money in portraying people's faults, that we have a different way of, of viewing it now, that yeah. maybe even in this terribly broken culture that we're in, that we, because we do talk more openly about mental health mm -hmm. and we do talk more openly about um, sexual assault and we do talk much more openly about victimization mm -hmm. um, and white supremacy and things of that nature and discrimination that we can, even if this stuff is fed to us, that we have a better way of discerning it. You are just speaking so much truth right now. And I, the, you're so dead right about the way men versus women and mental health and the way it's perceived. And when you were saying, you know, comparing Amanda Bynes and Brittany and Charlie, she took me right back to women being institutionalized because of quote unquote mm -hmm. hysteria, because of, you know, I mean, women have always, always, been looked at differently when it comes to our mental and even physical health and it's just astounding to me <laughs> that it's still going on to this day so it, that's it's it's still so, going so on right. well every yeah. wrap I can't up wait this to hear, i can't wait to read the article you said it's coming out thank you when on, on monday leslie comes out on Monday. Monday, okay. Um, so, and I, I'm really proud of the story. Actually, yeah. I actually interviewed someone that you both know. I interviewed so gross uh, for for the story about their bipolar. And um, yeah, that's awesome. The connection between Zoe had an imaginary friend named after one of Amanda Bynes' characters. <laughs> wow. Was, yeah, I didn't have any imagination, so that's what I came up with. But um, it's a really honest, candid story. But like, now we're aware. But now what do we, what do, we do? Are yeah, we, yeah. Are, are we still looking for solutions or are we just saying, oh, we understand more now. We're more aware mm -hmm. back to the train wreck. So, oh well, this has been an amazing conversation and I will I will give you um, a little behind the curtain scene. We literally <laughs> called Maria up 15 minutes before we were supposed to record this and asked her if she wanted to do it because the guests we had a couple guests in the pipeline who just weren't able to do it and we literally were like can you do this in 15 minutes and she was like is that enough time to prepare we're like girl we don't have to prepare let's just do this we can talk about this and, and, and also
also helps that I know Maria and I, but certainly Lynn and Maria as best friends have been having some of these conversations for more than 20 years. Yeah. So yep. It's, um, I would have and, to and Maria is incredibly knowledgeable and very smart and very comfortable, um, with, we have not had one person on the show who was so defensive about their thing that they couldn't actually parse it and talk about it. <laughs> and that's always a, you know, we're going to have our, our producer on Sam who loves clowns and I, I clowns terrify me. Yep. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation because I'm going to be spending most of it behind, um, hiding behind something. <laughs> oh my gosh. Know he's going to have clowns there. And uh, it's going to make me sad. I'm, I'm right there well, with you with the clowns, Leslie. Well, to end the conversation, we always ask our guests before we, um, oh. uh, wrap up. <laughs> Is the thing that we're talking about cheesy? Oh. And if it is, why or do we care at all? So the world of Joss <laughs> Whedon, Maria Blake, do you <laughs> consider it cheesy? And if it is, do you care? Well, you know me. I am a fan of cheese. Um, but, and I, and I, there's no shame in cheese. I will love on my cheese. But... I, for me personally, I don't think it's cheesy. Me and even if others did think it was cheesy, I would not care in the slightest. That's beautiful. Love it. Well, yeah, Maria, I think there's um, so much depth to it. I just no, it's not cheesy to me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Um, Maria, is there anywhere that you would like people to find you on social media or? <laughs> uh, She's no. like, no. No. <laughs> well, there you go. Hey, well, this I am has home been... recovering from a total knee replacement surgery. I'm just laying low right now. And this has been a lot of fun. And my friends know it's how to find a... me. And if you want to be creepy, um, you can always find me through Lynn's Facebook page. Because, you know. I... <laughs> so I do that. Okay. And I'm about to prepare. Our, we have a new outro that I have prepared. Oh. Uh-oh. Let's hear it. Here it's. Uh... Take it easy, keep it cheesy. <laughs> all right now. Love it. Love all right. It. Well, we love what? you all. Awesome. Take it easy. What'd you say? Keep it cheesy. I'm digging yeah, it. So it's... Take it easy and cheesy. See ya. See, See ya. ya. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.